0: Our Father, you are high and exalted this morning, just as you should be. We sing your praises, and it's not enough. If we had more, we'd give it, God. We proclaim that we truly are yours, that it's all about you. And God, in light of your tremendous glory, we're aware of our fallenness and our brokenness, that the gifts we offer are lacking. And so we're telling you, we need your grace. We welcome your grace and we embrace it. We're thankful for it. It's my request this morning, God, that you you would be lifted high. That you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and blow afresh. We ask that as your word is opened and taught, that you would apply it to our hearts and leave us changed as a result. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning... We're in the Gospel of John chapter three, verses one through 15. And uh, this passage is really asking a simple yet a profound question, and then it will be answered by Jesus. And the question is this: How do we have right relationship with God? A question that has been asked through the ages, by every culture, By every group of people, they've asked, what does it mean for me to be in relationship with God, to prove myself or to to expose myself as valuable in the presence of God? Men have been asking this question and laboring to answer it for all of time. And this morning, we're going to have the question posed by a man named Nicodemus. And a certain kind of a certain phrasing, he's going to pose this question to Jesus. And it's going to be answered finally, clearly, powerfully. By the one that we call the Christ. And so, if you would, read with me John 3, verses 1 through 15. And just before we read that passage, I'd like to remind you of what the prophet Isaiah says about our scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God will stand forever. So, this morning, that means that everything we can see in the physical world is withering and rotting and dying. It will not last. But when we come to the Word of God, we're in touch with something eternal and life-giving, and powerful, and we would be really wise, really wise to pay attention. John 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? How can this be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here in this passage, we've got this back and forth between Nicodemus and Jesus. And through their exchange, through this conversation, we gain a clear picture of how we as humans can have right relationship with the living God. And the first thing that we see very clearly is this. No amount of discipline, no amount of knowledge, And no amount of intrigue or interest in the person of Jesus equals saving faith. Let me show you how we know that. Who is this Nicodemus that comes by night? Who is this Nicodemus? It says that he is a Pharisee in verse 1, a ruler of the Jews. And then later on in the exchange, Jesus actually calls him the teacher of Israel. Not just a teacher of Israel, but he is identified by Jesus as the teacher of Israel. So what we know about Nicodemus is this. He is of the scholarly class, the Pharisees. Most of the Pharisees, and certainly the one known as the teacher of Israel, would have the whole of the Torah memorized. The first five books of our Bible. He would have them committed to memory. And also as the teacher of Israel, he would know all of the the commentary by the great thinkers that had come before him, and he'd be able to quote them at length. So he would know the Word of God extensively, have huge parts memorized. And then he would be able to Comments on it and talk about other men who are great and knew the word and he would be able to tell what they said as well He wouldn't just be able to quote the text, but he loved the text He loved the word of god He had given his life over to it He was a ruler and a teacher such that not only had he memorized it, but he labored to live it out to the very letter This is one of the most disciplined Knowledgeable men in all of israel. He knows the bible backwards and forwards And not only that, he's very interested in Jesus. He comes by night and he says, we, speaking of this ruling class, Jesus, we know there's something spectacular about you. Something even supernatural. Did you catch that in verse 2? He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And no one can do these things unless God is with him. So here's the picture of Nicodemus. He knows his Bible backwards and forwards. He is radically obedient, and he's very interested in Jesus. Sounds like a pretty good guy, huh? You know what Jesus' response is going to be to him? Not enough. Not enough. As I've been praying for us this morning, I I want to pose this question to you before we move forward and we see Jesus' answer. What do you do in life to try to present yourself as valuable to God? Where are the areas of activity and things that you are trying to accomplish to present yourself as pure and right and and acceptable before God? Where are those things in your life? For me, I've begun to identify that because I, I recognize that on days where I pray, where I spend time in prayer and reading God's word, I feel better about myself. And I feel better about God's love for me. It's on those days where as I walk through the day, I go, you know what? God's pretty pleased with me today. Because I spent time with him. I know that that's why I'm acceptable for, before God. Because I prayed and I read my Bible. <clears throat> maybe that resonates with some of you. Maybe on those days you feel like God is more pleased with me today than he was yesterday. Because I did this. Maybe it's your moral standards. Maybe you're a very moral person. Far more moral than the neighbors to your left and right on your street. And maybe even sitting in the chairs next to you. You think, well, I certainly don't do that. You see, there's, there's these things that creep into our hearts where we start to define our relationship with God by discipline, by knowledge, by morality, by our interest, or our intrigue in the person of Jesus. And we start to say, yeah, relationship with God defined by these activities, by these morals, by what I've accomplished. And this is Nicodemus. And incidentally, this is my heart. I long to earn something in the presence of God. Don't you know that impulse in your heart? And Jesus is going to speak directly into that impulse. And he's going to say, not enough. In a sense, what we're going to see in his response is this. You think I'm supernatural, Nicodemus? Great. But the truth is, something supernatural has to happen to you. It's not enough that you think I'm supernatural. Something supernatural has to happen to you. Let's see the way Jesus says this in verse 3. He answers him and he says, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, incidentally, Jesus starts by this phrase, truly, truly. Um, He says that 25 times in the book of John. He is the only human in all of Greek literature that is recorded as having front loaded his statements by starting statements, by saying amen and amen. The only one. And the reason is because it's audacious. Have you ever thought about this? Why do we say amen when we finish our prayers? What does amen even mean? What's that? So be it. it. Yeah, let it be. Let this be the case. Verily, verily, truly. And so when we finish our prayers as mere mortals, our request before God is an amen. Let this be the case. Let this be true. Jesus, an audacious, unshakable, unwavering, divine boldness stands and says amen and amen. Now I'll speak. And what he's saying is this. My words define truth. I don't, at the end of what I say, say amen. At the beginning, I say it twice so that everyone knows you can go to the bank on this. What I'm about to tell you is true. He's the only man to have been recorded to do this. He does it 25 times in the book of John. And if you were just to trace that through the gospel, if you were to look at the 25 times where Jesus says truly, truly, and then read the two sentences afterwards, you would get the most profound glories of the gospel unveiled. That this is where Jesus displays the story. And he does it three times in his conversation with Nicodemus this one night. He starts and he says, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This leaves Nicodemus scratching his head. This is not a phrase that's used. This is not common language like it is in our evangelical culture of I'm a born again Christian. This is confusing. Nicodemus says, I don't get it. He said, in verse 4, he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this is where Jesus begins to, un- to explain and to unveil what born-againness means. In his response, we're going to see three things. We've already witnessed that no amount of discipline or goodness or morality can define or establish your relationship with God. Jesus says, no, it's not enough to think that Jesus is supernatural. Something supernatural has to happen to you. And in the verses following, Jesus is going to explain in three steps what it looks like to have this unexpected supernatural event happen in our heart. So let's pick up in verse five, where he begins to explain how this works. What does it mean to be born again? I hope you're asking that question of your own heart this morning. What does it mean to be born again? Verse five, he answers saying, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's pause right there. In those couple of verses, Jesus is unveiling kind of the the highest level picture of what it means to be born again. And in a sense, what he's saying is this. It's radical transformation. To be born again is radical transformation. He says that one who is born again has been washed by the water and the Spirit. They've been born in this way. And in this passage, he is referencing Ezekiel 36, one of the high water marks of the Old Testament, where God is telling his people, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a new heart. Do you know this passage where he says, I'm going to take your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh? And it's in that passage where the people of God will be washed both by water and by the Spirit. What is that language? What do we think Jesus is communicating? By By a washing of water and spirit. The idea is this, both an external and an internal cleansing. Here's Nicodemus. He's been struggling to be good and to present himself as good. And he's saying, Jesus, look at this. We know that you're of God. And Jesus says, not enough. You have to be transformed radically. Cleansed with water and purified on the outside, but given a new spirit and a new heart on the inside. I have a guy that's uh, working for me as an intern currently. I met him in the ninth grade. His name is Andrew McDonald. When I met him in the ninth grade, he was uh, addicted to drugs. Um, He was kind of messing around with girls and he was a long way from God. We started hanging out week after week after week. And his senior year, we spent every week together and we'd spend an hour together. We'd work out, have a smoothie. And as we were finishing our smoothie, I'd say, Andrew. What's going on between you and the Lord? And he'd say, not a thing. He's nowhere to be found. I'd say, okay. And the next week, we'd hang out. We'd talk. He'd tell me about what trouble he'd gotten into that weekend and the new girl or the new this. And then at the end, I'd say, what about the Lord? He'd say, nothing. And uh, when he left for college, I prayed for him. We sat and prayed, and we prayed that God would hound him, that he'd send the hounds of heaven after him. And I could tell He was stunned. Uh, But he left for college and, and about two years later he called me and he said he had hit rock bottom. He was moving home and he began to walk with the Lord. And I saw the gospel break in in such a way cleansed on the outside. His actions changed. But the stunning reality of the gospel as not just recognizing Jesus as supernatural, but something supernatural happening to us. He was given a new heart. And now three to four days a week, he'll come into my office and we pray over the work that he's doing. He talks to me about the college students that he's meeting with and the way that he's talking to them about the scriptures. And he says to me things like, I just long to honor God. Like, I just... My prayers... I want my prayers to honor Him. I want my life to honor Him. He's dating a young girl that's a senior in college. He's getting ready to, to hopefully... I, I guess this is online, huh? The, the relationship's going well. We'll leave it at that. And... Uh, He really loves this girl and he says, I I want to maintain purity. I want to pursue her really well. His very motives have shifted and changed. Radical life transformation that is supernatural. It is not the work of man. And so the question this morning as we talk about what does it mean to be in right relationship with God? What does it mean to be born again? Are your desires different than they used to be? Do you long for different things? When you think about those deep soul longings, are they for God? When you pray, do you pray prayers that would not make sense to someone that is a non-Christian? Things like, even if it costs me suffering, even if it costs me my very life, I want to bring you glory, God. Is that a prayer that makes sense, that we want to offer because we actually are enthralled with Him even above and over our own lives? Radical transformation, a new heart Cleansed on outside and inside. You see, but it's not just that. It's not just radical transformation. In verse 8, he continues and he says this. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. It's as we start to hear about radical transformation. I don't know about you, but there's there's part of me that goes, well. how, How can that be? Radical transformation where even my heart changes, it beats for something new. And Jesus follows it up by saying, born againness is not just radical transformation, but it's radical transformation empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says the wind blows through and you don't know when it's coming and you don't know how, but when it does, it changes things. Not just it changes things, he changes things. The Holy Spirit blows through and he changes things. I, I love this analogy of the wind. Um, I had a chance to go sailing a few years back. Ashley's family grew up. She grew up on a lake outside of Kansas city called Lake Latawana and her brother is a sailor and they have regattas on the weekends and he needed an extra crew. And so I knew nothing and he knew this, but he told me all you have to do is pull on this board and push that board down and, and duck. Otherwise you're going to get hit by the sail. And, uh, unfortunately I just could not get a hang of that one. I got hit by the sail all day long. Um, But there was an amazing thing that happened that day as I was out on the water. I realized the difference between what Austin saw on the water and what I saw. Him as a sailor and me as the guy getting hit by the sail. Um, We would be sitting there and we'd be cruising along with our sail out. And he would be looking over the face of the water. And the truth is, as a sailor, you can't make the wind. You can't make it. You're racing and you can't produce wind. But... You can pay attention to it. And it was this amazing reality. We'd be cruising along and I wouldn't know what he was looking at, but he's kind of surveying the, the, the horizon. And all of a sudden he'd say, hold on, hold on. And there would be a little bit of white froth moving across the edge of the water. And he would say, a puff is coming. Get ready. And so you get down and you get ready. And all of a sudden you're pulling the boards, flipping the sail because the wind is going to catch the sail when the puff gets to you. And I get the sense that this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you can't control the wind. He says you can't see it and you don't know where it's coming from, but he does say you can hear it. Did you catch that? We can't notice the wind. And so there's this idea of a radically transformed life only happens to the degree to which we're putting up our sails and paying attention to the wind. That it's the Holy Spirit that transforms a life and that carries us along. We are not left powerless in this call. I love the John Bunyan quote that says, Run, John, run, the law demands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. You see that the call to live a radically transformed life here is Nicodemus, worn out, coming by night saying, I am as disciplined and as knowledgeable and as intrigued with you as could be. I'm trying. I have the law memorized. And it's calling me to run. And I want right relationship with God. And he's going, you need the wind. You need the wind to blow through your soul. Because if you're trying to do it under your own power, you're going to wear yourself out. Radical transformation comes when the wind blows. So once again, the question for us. Are you attuned to the Holy Spirit? As we live into this born againness, this call. To what degree have you, have you tuned your ears to the puff? Such that you can prepare the wind, prepare the sails and gather the wind and be moved along by the power of the Spirit. You see, and this leaves Nicodemus asking yet another question. Because it's at this point where you say radical transformation by the empowerment of the Spirit No doubt for Nicodemus, where he's standing as a first century Jew, he's going, that sounds wonderful, tell me. And this is what he says, do you catch this? His response in verse 9. How can these things be? I hope you you can hear the longing in Nicodemus' words. That sounds good. How can this be? And some of you this morning, if this is where you find yourself, if you find yourself in Nicodemus' shoes, struggling to present yourself as acceptable before God and worn out feeling like you don't have what it takes, wondering what it feels like to be carried along by the winds of the Spirit, I would invite you to pay attention to Jesus' response, because as Nicodemus with longing says, how can it be that I could actually be in relationship with God? Jesus gives him the root of all of these beautiful promises in verse 10 I'm following. He says this, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In a sense, he's saying, I'm laying it out there and you're not picking it up. And I'm about to drop a heavenly truth on you. I don't know how you're going to get this one. But it's here that he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus just dropped a heavenly truth on Nicodemus, one that doesn't immediately register with him, that doesn't answer all of his questions, but it will. What he does is he points to two different passages from the Old Testament. The first he says, the Son of Man. The Son of Man who descended from heaven. This is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He refers to himself as the Son of Man more than any other title in Scripture. And now, do we, does anybody know, any uh, biblical scholars in the room, does anybody know where that's referenced in the Old Testament? The Son of Man. Daniel. Thank you, Gil. Daniel 7. And we know what the Son of Man is? The son of man is the eternal king that's going to reign on high. He's given power from the ancient of days. He's seated on the clouds in Daniel 7. And he's given all authority to reign over his kingdom for eternity. So when Jesus says the son of man is going to be lifted up, this is the language of the coronation of the eternal king. He is going to be seated on his throne. He's quoting Daniel 7. But he also quotes Numbers 21. This is an interesting one. As Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. This leaves Nicodemus, the biblical scholar, scratching his head. Because Numbers 21, this is the story of the the Israelite people are in the wilderness. They've rebelled against God. God has judged them by sending serpents among them. And they all are snake bit. And they've got poison running through their veins. They're going, we are going to die Because we have the poison of the judgment for our sin literally coursing through our veins. We need help. And the help that is given them, is Moses is told, to hold a bronze serpent up. And it says that everyone who will turn their eyes and look upon the serpent that has been lifted up will be saved. They won't die from the snake bite. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up like this serpent in the wilderness you place your trust in Him, you will be saved. No doubt this leaves Nicodemus confused. What does it mean that the Son of Man will be lifted up like the bronze serpent, such that if we look to Him, the poison will be done away with? And I think he probably went away scratching his head, as most people do when they interact with Jesus in the New Testament. He says things that they can't quite grasp. It's too great for them, and they they leave confused. Do you know that Nicodemus ends up being used by John almost as the narrator of the Gospel of John, though? He shows up two more times. Once in chapter 7, defending Jesus before the council. And secondly, do we know where Nicodemus shows up the last time? The burial. You know, there are two men that prepare Jesus' body for the burial. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea says, I want to give him my tomb. And you know what Nicodemus gives him? 75 pounds of spices. Can't even put a price tag on it. It is the burial of a king. I wish I could be there. In that moment when the cross was raised, and Nicodemus sat there and he said, The Son of Man is lifted up. I didn't get it. I didn't get that the coronation of the king was going to be his very death. I didn't know that he was going to secure his greatest victory through his weakness and his defeat. I didn't know that the very poison that was coursing through my veins and that is going to be the end of me was going to be dealt with on that cross in that way. But it was in that moment where Nicodemus said, 75 pounds of spices, every penny I've got to adorn the king, the eternal king, son of man, lifted up in all his glory. Do you see that he says this in his conclusion? It is as you, this is Jesus speaking, as you place your trust in the son of man lifted up, you will have eternal life. And the same way that the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness, snake bit and wondering how they're going to survive, must have thought, this is a foolish plan, Moses. The snake bit me and I'm dying and you're telling me to look to the snake? Like That doesn't make sense. It offends my pride and my sensibilities. There's got to be something I can do, some anecdote I can take, something I can do to get the poison out of me. And he says, just trust God and look to the serpent. Likewise, what Jesus says to us this morning, if we want to know what it is to have the winds of the spirit blow through our life and to leave us radically transformed inside and out. No amount of discipline, knowledge, intrigue, nothing can transform us except for turning and looking wholly under the son of man lifted up and trusting that he is the anecdote to the poison. He is the one that refreshes and renews. And so I'd say two things to you this morning. One, if you have not been born again, if you don't know what it is to be in relationship with God, let me tell you something with boldness, with clarity, because I'm going to stand and give an account before God for your souls as being a teacher in this place. You are snake bit, the poison is coursing through your veins. And judgment is the end. If you have not been born again, if you have not placed your trust in the Son of Man lifted up, snake bit, poisoned, and in trouble. But God has made a way and the Son of Man lifted up such that you could actually have living, right relationship with Him. And He beckons with His arms spread wide, come, come and experience new life, be born again. And to those of you who are born again by the grace of God, not by your own doing, this morning, would you would you feel your heart melt afresh? Would you turn your attention wholly to the Son of Man? And would you begin to, to raise the sails of your heart and move with the wind of the Spirit such that your life truly would be radically transformed to the glory of God? This is how we can have a living relationship, right relationship with our God. Amen. Amen. Let, us, <clears throat> let us continue the service now in the time of prayer.